welcome back to season two of the Human Instrumentality Podcast. My name is Ian Corey. And I'm Joseph Schaefer. Today, we're here to talk about episodes seven and eight of Paranoia Agent. We won't spoil anything from the rest of the series, but we will make note of foreshadowing when it's relevant. Human Instrumentality Podcast, season two, episode nine, rolling. Episode seven, megahertz. And I love pronouncing it megahertz. Detectives Maniwa and Ikari learn about Taiko's case while watching over Sagi, who seems to instinctively understand when she awakes that Shonen Bat is back in action. The detectives mull over the puzzling aspects of the case. Ikari thinks he knows what to do, but in his wake, Maniwa has a bizarre, psychedelic encounter with the old man from the previous episodes. Ikari interrogates Kozuka again with the knowledge that Sagi faked her own attack and accuses him of being a copycat criminal, which leaves the boy absolutely distraught. Maniwa, meanwhile, begins to put together that all the victims had something in common. They all wanted to be attacked or felt trapped in some way. Over dinner, he explains this theory to Ikari, pointing out that the outlier is Yuishi, so maybe Kozuka only attacked him. Maniwa cracks his egg to find an auspicious double yoke, and when he does, has a glimpse of insight. What if the old man is the wise sage from Kozuka's delusion? When the detectives interrogate Kozuka again, Maniwa dreams about the old man as a stage magician replicating himself. Thereafter, he finds the old man in the parking lot, making another equation, this one equaling Tycho's hospital room. When he investigates Tycho, he realizes that she's also a shonen bat victim because she was attacked at the exact same time that Sagi collapsed. He insists to Ikari that the real shonen bat is still at large. Without jurisdiction, they stage an impromptu raid, but discover shonen bat already in the jail, having just bludgeoned Kozuka to death. Like the old man, shonen bat seems to go through walls. Maniwa then has a nightmare that he's attacked by Shonen Bat. The case is beginning to corner him. He begins broadcasting on the radio over Tokyo that Kozuka didn't kill himself. Shonen Bat is still at large. Episode 8, Happy Family Planning. Two people wearing Maromi backpacks, one a younger man and one a bit older, meet in public for what is apparently the first time. They refer to one another as Fuyubachi, the elder, and Zebra, the younger, which are names they use on an internet chat room. They're waiting for a third member, Kamome, who they're shocked to discover is a child. The older men try in vain to ditch Kamome, just long enough for Fuyubachi to take his last pill of some kind of medicine, but Kamome finds them. It turns out that the three met online, planning a suicide pact. Their chat room included a fourth member, too, the mysterious Fox. Zebra and Fuyubachi 
try to give themselves carbon monoxide poisoning inside an abandoned building, and as they do so, discuss Kamome, who then, like some horrible stalker, turns up exactly where they are. The next morning, all three are apparently alive, and the abandoned building they were in has been bulldozed. Fuyubachi has a backup plan, throwing themselves in front of a train. Though he asks Zebra to throw Kamome back onto the platform as they die. However, another person happens to jump into the same train. And when they see his remains, they decide to try a less disfiguring way to die. They rule out other methods of suicide. Jumping off a bridge, drowning themselves. When Kamome mentions she wish she'd taken a train ride before she died, they opt to take a train to the wilderness to kill themselves. In the countryside, they venture deep into a mountainous forest to avoid interruption. There, they prepare to hang themselves, but after some quibbling, when they do kick the chair, or pile of rocks as it were, the nooses just behave like elastic bands. Kamome thinks their bobbing is fun, until the ropes snap and send them tumbling down the mountainside. The tumble separates the adults from Kamome, and again they consider giving her the slip. But they don't want her to be hurt on her own in the wilderness, and Kamome doesn't want to be alone either. Later, at a bathhouse, the suicide trio begin really enjoying themselves. Fuyibachi brings up Shonen Bat, who apparently killed Fox. Fox! Insinuating that Fox was Kozuka. The three agree that being killed by Shonen Bat would really be the perfect way to die. But if he appears to people who are backed into a corner, why hasn't he come for them? That night, outside their window, someone is actually bludgeoned by Shonen Bat. But when the apparition meets his three biggest fans, he recoils, and a comic chase ensues. The next morning, Fuyubachi pulls his one last pill out of his jacket pocket. Again, the same pill he had earlier. He's then horrified to realize that neither he nor his friends are casting any shadows. It appears that they succeeded in at least one of their suicide attempts. He then decides he's only deluded and suggests that the three take the bullet train on another trip. Hand in hand, the happy family walks away, imperceptible to everyone around them. At last, now that time itself has come to a halt, I am free to torment our listeners with an ad read. Ha! Nice try, Joseph, but you forgot one thing. The Human Instrumentality Podcast doesn't sell ad space. Think again, Ian. In my perfect world, the podcast is completely listener-supported. Why pummel them with corporate sponsors when I can use the listeners themselves? You don't mean... That's right, Ian. We've now launched a Patreon. So, if the listeners love our fine-tuned anime discourse, they can support us for one dollar a month by going to patreon.com slash human instrumentality pod? It had better come with monthly bonus episodes. Indeed it does. And for five dollars a month, I'll even read their names at the end of the episode. It's totally optional, of course. That is, 
if they don't want to be frozen in time forever. Not bad, Joseph, but you forgot one thing. Oh, what's that? Nobody is going to visit any websites or sign up for any bonuses as long as time is frozen. You're trapped in this ad read with me. Touché. You've outplayed me once again, but I'll be back. And so will this ad read. <laughs> Let's just get this out of the way up top. Um, Ian's not feeling his best. No. As we're, no, he's not. But this is okay. <laughs> I'm not doing great right now. Amazingly, I don't have COVID. That's not the reason, even though I did have COVID like a week and a half ago. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm better, but I'm not better right now. <laughs> I'm I'm hoping I don't. I went to a show last night and I I um had my mask on the whole time. It was it was a pretty good show. Halder and Antichrist Siege Machine, uh, extreme metal hipsters. I the the hype is real. Also, like Halder's live band has um like two people from Funebrarum, and I think her name is I'm pulling it out of my butt right now. Carly from Witch Vomit on lead guitar it's a good band mm -hmm. rippers like all all rippers right um anyway but i've like i kept my mask on the whole time but the last time i went to this venue for three days afterward i just got you may have been exposed to covid19 pings on my phone oh, yeah. so like either i like totally bullet timed a a away from the the virus particles mm -hmm. or i was asymptomatic and i'm now immune i don't no, probably not the latter. Like I'm not going to bank on it, right? Right. Yeah, you can't you can't live your life assuming that you've you've uh, you know, that you're bulletproof. You just have to be like, "Woo, dodged another one," you know, I guess. <laughs> Correct. But... Correct. But it's point being, I think it's okay. I think it's okay that you don't feel your absolute best because uh dear listeners, we are recording out of order mm -hmm. and we've already recorded the next episode in the Paranoia Agent series. We did that one last time. And in that episode, I am hungover and have played a show the night before. So my voice is shot. Yeah. And um, much respect to our future guests. I remember basically none of it. So I presume I was just spouting total, total gobbledygook. Well, I, I quite enjoy the next episode. I think that our, our listeners will as well. It features a returning guest and a new guest. Um, but for this particular episode, we are doing it old school. We are doing it the original flavor, just the two of us, uh, no guest for this one. And we're talking about, I think, uh, a, a really uh, non-harmonious pair of episodes but perhaps like the two most emblematic in their disharmony of the entire show in its own way. Yeah. Um, episode seven is, I think, sort of the the end point of the initial thrust of Paranoia Agent. It is it is the the point by which all of the narrative energy about the case, the investigation, the sort of cop procedural version of the show ends here and then episode eight happy family planning which we've alluded to multiple times throughout the season so far is its kind of own separate anthology short story that just happens to be inside the show you know yeah it's well it, it's not totally disconnected from from everything else however it is um 
I don't want to skip too 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 far into it, but I think it it um one thing you might compare it to in some respects is are you a Doctor Who guy? Uh I've seen episodes of Doctor Who, but I uh I've somehow dodged that bullet as well. Uh that that is not my particular flavor of of nerddom. It w- was for me for a while. Mm-hmm. I I got in, got deep into it and then fell off. However, I will say I and this is a very like this is a very hashtag basic Whovian opinion. I really like the seasons with David Tennant. Mm-hmm. I think he was very good at it. Um, and in those seasons, there is a bottle episode called Blink. This is like the angel statues that kill you. Yeah, yeah. This, they introduce the angel villains in this episode and it, it's virtually disconnected from like every other episode of the show and also david tennant's barely in it i think he's got like three scenes Mm -hmm. it's it's basically like a a total it's doctor who gaiden right it's total side story but it's a notorious episode of the show because it's actually like a very effective 45 minute horror film Mm -hmm. like it's shot like a, a a highbrow horror film and is quite scary like those villains seem seem silly, but like in practice in that episode, they're like quite frightening. Right. And it's it's very well done. And the show never kind of gets back to it. Like it's a vibe that they hit perfectly once and don't get back to it. And so that episode has like its own fan narrative and 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 like cultural impact that is in its own way separate from Doctor Who. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I see the analogy that you're you're drawing here. It right. seems that like happy family planning is that yeah. for, for paranoia agent. It, it's the kind of thing that like, even if you are not a fan of paranoia agent, maybe you're just a cone fan in general. You may have watched happy family planning absent of the rest of the show. And you may have even wa- like watched it absent of being into cone period. It is such a like uh, eye catching premise um, that it seems like the kind of thing that would leak out in into its own little pond you know Mm -hmm. it's also quite controversial it's like and in in that respect it's a lot like the bardiel fight in in evangelion uh it's like totally very different but i i understand the the significance of the comparison where it is sort of the the most pushing of the uh of the envelope it's it's the most like line crossing moment in the series Mm -hmm. and it yeah crosses a few lines and it also like made some like made some made some news in the UK. We've talked about this in earlier episodes. We'll talk about we'll get into it. We'll get it. Let's not jump too far into happy family planning. I've got a lot to say. Yeah. But before that, I've got a question for you, Ian. Please. Episode seven is called Megahertz MHZ. But do you ever think anyone in the office said mega space hertz H-U-R-T-S <laughs> like um. Uh, like 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 an emo rap song or or something. Uh, um, <laughs> ouch! <laughs> boo! <laughs> of all the jokes, you boo that one. Okay. Uh, okay. Go. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe the pun is intentional. There's there there is like a wordplay element to this show. So, uh, right. Yeah, I mean. What what to what to make of megahertz? One thing I'd I'd like to start with is like we we've you know in our last episode we were talking with Langdon about the sort of uh, janky animation style 
in in some of the the episodes as it's going on and i'm i'm sure you have you know names and uh historical cases to bring up about why these episodes look different but this episode looks really different um, way different in a way that i think like we when we were talking about like the jrpg episode i think that the the jankiness of the animation uh undercuts the joke to some degree undercut like execution you need to execute well even if you're doing something that's in, in, intentionally silly i think the weirdness of the animation in this particular episode is a, a master stroke i i think the fact that it looks so weird um really works to convey the emotions behind this particular episode the sort of overlit desaturated the intensity the starkness the 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 lack of um warmth is you know it it puts you into Maniwa's shoes because this is an episode i think uh explicitly told from Maniwa's point of view in a yes. way that the even the other investigative episodes were not from his point of view this this one is about his internal life and it's interesting that we get his internal life before we get ikari's because i feel like we've gotten more of ikari's character you know we've we've seen him have the interactions like at the bar we've seen him sort of like lose it over this you know the childish inanities of the jrpg episode we've gotten more of his character and Moniwa has been more of like a foil and it's interesting that the first time we look into him we realize that he is losing his mind like truly losing his mind right totally when i think of Moniwa in this episode and we will get into the art style i do have some things but before I massacre a poor forgotten genius's name, uh, because I am not a native Japanese speaker, I would like to, I think, talk about money was good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it, in an earlier episode, we talked about, like, the title of the show is Paranoia Agent, which begs the question, not just what is a paranoia agent, but who Ooh, yes. is the paranoia agent? Maybe you, the viewer, are the paranoia agent. Hmm, right? However, in in this watch of the show... I have a pretty firm belief, actually, that Maniwa is is the paranoia a- agent. Yes, yes. And um, in, in the title. And I think, and this is sort of strange that it takes them half the show to do it, but I think starting in this episode, Maniwa becomes a fairly well-defined protagonist of the narrative. Yeah. He's retrospectively the main character in some ways. Um, right. I mean... Tsukiko is kind of the main character, and that will become more apparent in the final episodes. But I think at this point, we understand that, like, Maniwa's sympathetic nature towards the surreal elements of the story makes him the audience surrogate, you know? Yes. Um, And the effect that this case is having on him is a mirror image. And, you know, obviously that's a loaded term in this particular episode is a mirror image of what the show is attempting to do to us. Like it is the show is trying to drive us nuts in the way that the case is driving Maniwa nuts in this episode. Right. The fact that we we get all of the uh, bumpers at the end of each episode with the the old man and the sort of riddles and all of that is the reason we get those two is because it's putting us in Maniwa's shoes. He's he's trying to interpret the show. He's trying to interpret the case the way that we are trying to interpret the show. It is it is a direct link. And this is the episode where the show makes it clear that we're supposed to be seeing it this way. Yes, that's that's true. And there's 
plus sides and downsides to that. So I think I think the plus side is like while while Monty was going crazy, I actually find this episode really does like clarify the the narrative a lot. Yeah, I think like here's this is where we start getting like I'm beginning to understand this the stakes better mm-hmm. of like what is the what is the nature of the conflict with Shonen Bat or Little Slugger, whichever you, whichever you prefer. Right. However. The narrative does sort of veer away from what I think like the obvious thing to do is right because like and and let me see what I mean by that. Maniwa gets in the, like sort of like maybe like the emotional climax of this episode is him confronting Ikari and being like, "No, Shonen Bat like finds people who are in emotional distress. Yeah. They they summon him. This this is what it is. He's getting stronger because people are in emotional distress. If we find people who are emotionally distraught." We'll find him. And Ikari's like, no, you're fucking no. Yeah, you, you take like, a break. <laughs> take a break, bro. Right. Um, you're lost in the sauce, bro. In too deep. Whereas, like, as a viewer, we kind of frustratingly go, no shit, Sherlock. Yeah. Of of course that's what what it is. That was obvious, like in episode two, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To to us. Yeah. Right. And so why does it take Maniwa this long? To, to reach that conclusion, it's not just that he wants to be a rational human. It's that, like, Ikari's his antagonist more than Shonen Bat. is like, Ikari's actively, like, fighting him, making the magical realist thinking leap. Yes. Right? Yeah. And you'd, you'd sort of think the narrative would, like, play up their their conflict, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they do respect each other a great deal, I think. Even, even in their obvious disagreements and their obvious uh, lack of cohesion in their two worldviews. I think that there is a certain professionalism and like legitimate respect between the two of them that prevents them from truly coming to heads. You know, I feel like an American TV show would play up the degree to which they do not get along. Like we'd have more of a true detective kind of thing of like, right. The, they fall apart too, but instead it's just kind of like circumstances drive them apart rather than any kind of like personal dislike between the two of them. Um, sure. Which is interesting. I, I kind of, I dig it, honestly. I, I think it's it's neat that we never, I think that if if the show overplayed the the disconnect between the two of them, it might it might seem a bit melodramatic. Um, and instead we, you know, so much of this episode is, it is internal and it is kind of heady and it, it doesn't seem like, the, the point is not the, 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 character drama so much as the internal character drama and yes i I think overplay like having the two of them like get into a fist fight or get into some huge argument about it would would oversell a point that is made implicitly in in the way that the two characters are are portrayed in other episodes you know what i mean sure yeah i agree they don't (laughs) you made you made the the true detective comparison which i think is 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 actually quite quite apt i know we usually talk about twin peaks yeah. but now i'm kind of wondering nick pizzolato have you ever seen paranoia agent is this one of the many things that you maybe should have uh attributed <laughs> in your admittedly brilliant first season but they don't they don't have like a redneck moment they don't fist fight right yeah. instead they have this weird uh sort of dinner time interaction right it's the it's the final payoff of the uh the dinner you bet that they've had for right. the entire show so far. Right. 
it's one of a series of like Ikari at dinner sequence. It's a weird sort of running motif. Yeah. And there's a lot of things I like about the way it's staged. You know, Ikari is like eating his bill. He's back on the smoking train. He's into that. He's back on the smoking train. Yeah. Um, He smokes Hope brand cigarettes. The fuck is that? Um, I do feel like there's a twisted person, a a reference or a, a sort of cultural point there that we're we're missing as an american audience like i i don't know maybe it's like lucky strikes or something you know it's like i don't quite right. understand what the significance of that cigarette uh brand is but i'm sure that there is one here i go doing the thing that i shouldn't do looking things up okay so hope cigarettes are real i i thought it would be something that that cone made up but no they're a real brand of cigarettes they were they're quite old they were discontinued in 1940 and then re relaunched in 1957 wow that gum that you like is coming back in style etc yeah weird yeah this this scene i wanted i wanted to bring this up this scene i i think is sort of like an overt homage to cinema yeah and interestingly enough this is one of the only times that i can see cone i think referencing a, a japanese film outside of millennium actors right, of course right. um have you ever seen the movie Cure? No, but I've heard great things about it. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's it's wonderful. If you haven't seen it, then maybe this isn't a tangent we should go on too, too far. But for listeners interested in like, specifically, I think the vibe of this episode. This this episode has the same vibe that um, early Kiyoshi Kurosawa movies do. Mm-hmm. Kiyoshi Kurosawa was this um, sort of turn of this set. He's still active. But around the turn of the century, he was one of like the Japanese like horror wave yeah, yeah. guys. He did a great movie called Cairo Pulse, which was very badly remade in in the United States. But having you know, last year I rewatched a lot of like the J horror, like early internet age J horror films. Yeah, which and I think Kurosawa's- is a really good, really good touch point for this episode in general, for sure. Yeah, I, I think I think this episode in general, the series in general, in this episode in particular, I think like in conversation with that movement and this scene in particular seems to be responding to Cure, which I, I think is one of Kurosawa's best, that Kurosawa's best films. Mm-hmm. And there's like a very important, a series of very important scenes involving someone lighting someone else's cigarette. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. While we're on this train, I... Uh, th- I was reminded very strongly of I have not seen the movie Ring or Ringu, but I've I've read the novel, um, and there is a moment you're a rebel uh, in Maniwa's dream sequence, which is you know very very Twin Peaks as we've mentioned Twin Peaks a ton. I don't feel like we need to overstate. Uh, if you've seen both shows, you know what we're talking about. But like, there's a moment where he's he's this kind of like John Malkovich sort of thing where he sees like the the faces of the old man perpetuate in infinitude mm-hmm. uh, around the audience mm-hmm. of the circus that he's at. And they take, they take up the whole screen, which is very, to me, really reminiscent of the way that the, the videotape in the ring is described of this sort of yeah. like sea of faces of all expressing like, you know, hatred and, and ill will in some way. Uh, and it's not quite the same thing in this, but it does feel like a, a resonant image with, with that series and with that kind of style of Japanese horror that was uh, of that era, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
and, and like Ringu, it is it is sort of this this like overt interruption of psychedelia. Yeah. In into, you know, a, a, a fragmented abstract, but like but like muted and, and weirdly like for the premise kind of realistic episode. Mm-hmm. This is like despite it being the episode that is about someone like coming to believe in the paranormal this is like one of the least paranormal episodes in the show yeah well which is why i think the final moments of it are so powerful you know Uh, yeah it's it needs to set up that kind of like hyper realistic or, or um grounded tone in order to make that final image of shonen bat sliding through the wall all the more shocking to the characters, you know? Yeah. I mean, that is, we're skipping, we're skipping ahead of, of where I thought we'd be in the discussion, but let's go with it. I think the end of, of this episode, the, the final probably two minutes or so Mm -hmm. is some of, is some of my favorite shit in Cone's whole oeuvre. Yeah. This thing where like, Oh, he's a copycat and he's dead. Yeah. And here's and here's the supernatural figure he's copycatting. You get the reveal of like the gold eyes, which I think has like been maybe seen for. But this is the first time in the show. I think they really underline like the gold in the bat, the gold in the shoes is also the gold in the dudes in in shown in bat's eyes. Like right. he is he is one material. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. His his insides, the window to the soul. Right. Is is his insides are the same thing as his outsides. Mm. He's one in undifferentiated mass. That looks like a person. Yeah. And then like rolling, sliding into the back. That's also a very. Now I'm thinking about it. That's also a very Kiyoshi Kurosawa moment. It's sort of the reverse of the first really big scare in Pulse. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which, which involves a figure coming out of a shadow where there is no door. Yeah. 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 While we're on this sort of uh, tra- tracing illusions and stylistic resonances, uh, do you get serial experiments lane? vibes from this episode not so yes but not so much i think as a few other things Uh uh-huh i Um, I bring it up just because the image of of as we learn maniwa you know hunched over his his podcast equipment um and surrounded i can't relate (laughs) surrounded by wires and the sort of tangle of computer equipment that he has around him to me it's it's not too dissimilar from Lane in her bedroom surrounded by the the cables and the you know computers and whatnot sure but sure it's it's maybe a loose illusion a loose connection but it's something that i feel like you know if you're the kind of person that likes this show you probably have seen serial experiments lane so experiments lane it, it probably pops up for some people yeah no i think that image in particular is really strong and like you see it coming, like they telegraph it a lot, but like the reveal at the end of of how Maniwa has this like abnormally clean room, mm-hmm. um, which is like I remember watching that scene and knowing what I know about Khan now, I was like, this is um background clutter guy, yeah, yeah. yeah Where's yeah. the background clutter? And then you enter the next room, it's like, oh, here's all of it. It is it's, is effective. It's it's kind of like a. It's it's hard not to view it as like part of this this talk about like repression, you know, like mm-hmm. the clean surface, the presentable part of one's life, the sort of also very true detective of having like the very like minimalist apartment. And then you you peel back the curtain and you see the uh, the monomania 
beneath it. You know, the the degree to right. which this thing has been building up and it, it encroaching upon his life to such that it is it has taken up an entire room in the house of his mind. You know. Yes. Well, and the other big lane lane thing is like the interface with technology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is a theme that is not as underlined in Paranoia Agent as it as it was in Perfect Blue. Yeah. But is like there's a through line there. There's more of that in, in Happy Family Planning. Let's not go there quite yet. Yes. Yeah. But y- yes, I I agree. Sticking on Maniwa for one second. Yes. Um, did you ever get the the feeling watching this episode that in a way he's like indulging his obsession to like make himself a a shonen bat like potential victim is he attempting to become like a like a lure like an angler fish i do think that well because he has this like nightmare of him being driven so nuts by this case that shonen bat shows up it's clearly like on his mind he's aware that on some level the more that he pursues this the more shonen bat is drawn to him um, mm-hmm. And I do think the way that perhaps he's portrayed in subsequent episodes uh, lends credence to the idea that he is kind of intentionally driving himself nuts. But I think it's it's kind of not too dissimilar from what you're describing with Ikari, how Ikari is back on the cigarette train and happy with it. He's indulging in his worst instincts. You know, it's like mm. they're they're both finally allowing themselves to sort of like let go of the appearance of normalcy or healthiness, like mental healthiness that they've stapled over their true instincts. And this this is the moment where they both get to have sort of a mask off reveal of who they actually are. And I think Maniwa... Right. And this is, again, I think part of what makes him such a good surrogate character for this particular show. And I think like the particular type of guy that like watches this and I, I, you know, guy, lady and those in between. Person. Yes. Like I, I really like detective stories. Uh, I really like I, I bring up pinch on all the time. I, you know, and like Inherent Vice is one of my favorite movies, all this kind of stuff. It, it This sort of show attracts a certain sort of attitude. Like, have you seen uh, Under the Silver Lake? I have. I th- That is interesting to bring that up because I did get a little Under the Silver Lake vibe Yeah. in, in this episode too. I've complicated feelings about that film as I think a lot of people it's, do. Yeah, but... I, I think if you don't have, if you have uncomplicated feelings about the film, you didn't watch it is, is sort of my feeling about it. Like, sure. But it, it is a, it's a movie about someone chasing down and like th- this sort of your idea of like, this is him finding his purpose uh, in some way. And right. Like indulging in the sense of losing the plot because that's what propels him forward you know it's it's this kind of like reddit mentality like hunting down all the easter eggs like clearly this is a a drive in society you know like Mm. in a certain type of person like to if only we can find like the one fact the one image the one key that'll make everything make sense you know and i think cone is is being really smart in the way that he depicts this is as much of an escape as the uh, Ikari's nostalgia or uh, Kozuka's, you know, a JRPG fantasy realm. This mm-hmm. idea that, like, you can just track down the mystery and solve it and, like, dig into the weeds. It is as much of an escape from reality as any of the others that we've seen thus far. I think that is absolutely part of it. And, like, 
the with all of these characters giving into the fantasy is pleasurable that's why they pursue it to some degree because it is easier to pursue the fantasy than to to face reality i i yes i think that's absolutely cone's aim with this character at this point i'd also like to point out that i think this is sort of interesting i'm not certain if this is intentional on cone's part but if, if we're going to keep drawing through lines to like other things we've talked about to jojo mm. to evangelion mm. if we're going to try and like make a meta text out of out of this show and i'd like to do that this uh there's a very alistair crowleyan read mm. of this episode yeah um go for it. not that i love the lama i don't uh but it's interesting I've, I've read some Crowley. So when, when Alistair Crowley split off from the, the hermetic order of the golden dawn, um, which include Butler Yates, um, his like critique of right hand path magic was this thing that he called like the, the wizard's trap. Although now people don't like saying wizard. They like saying sorcerer. Thanks KKK. (laughs) But like the, 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 the wizard's trap is this idea that you, you become so ensconced in your, your ritual thinking that you begin to disappear into yourself and lose your ability to interact with the people around you. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, it's, it's sort of what he thought is like the, the great weakness of most of the, of the quote unquote, Western history of mysticism, unquote. Mm. And it's interesting that, that, uh, this is the episode where Maniwa starts to fall into that. But at the same time, it's also the episode where literally he, he's given the mantle of magician by an older magician yeah 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 who like it it, you you get this idea that like there's a legacy of these consciousness combatants in this society and that in becoming one of these people like kozuka like the i think as of yet unnamed old man it's like like taking on this mantle will will ruin your brain yes Yes. And, and, and he takes it on because he, he's the, you know, there's been multiple scenes in the previous episodes of Maniwa noticing the old man. And, uh, you know, there's that moment where the old man is like drawing on the floor and like showing, like drawing each of the animals represented thus far. And Maniwa takes Mm -hmm. notice of it and you can see the gears starting to turn in his head. Um, Mm -hmm. and the fact that like, God, I, I don't want to talk about the ending, but like, right. This is, this is all setting something up and you're, you're very right to point out the sort of cyclical nature and the degree to which Maniwa is being initiated into a way of interpreting the world, you know? Yeah. Um, and he's, he is understanding, like, again, I, I think it's so pointed that like the old man is speaking to us at the end of every episode. And this is the episode where he speaks to Maniwa. And we get to see mm-hmm. how Maniwa is interpreting the old man's visions and interpreting his riddles as a way of showing us of how to interpret the show. You know? Yes. This this is like the 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 rolling out of the of the RPG, you know, textbook. Like th- this is the scroll. This is like, here's how to do this show. Here's how to understand this show. Because Maniwa is gonna go through the same thing. He's going to like see each of these visions and hear these riddles and try to make interpretive sense of them through dreams and like yeah again i don't i I don't want to keep bringing up david lynch but like obviously there's there's a big resonance here with how like cooper interprets his dreams in in twin peaks i think that's absolutely the fact that they're both detectives it's really hard not to see the the connection there Mm -hmm. 
another another show made by uh, a creator that like openly indulges in with a K magical thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that I don't think Cohn does that. I think it's inadvertent, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's it's sort of in a way it's like an idea that he's been fed through things he likes that that is reproduced in his work, maybe against his his better judgment. Because Cohn doesn't strike me as a, as a person who's like into cognition tactical cognition altering right maybe that seems like the kind of Um, thing that this show would almost critique in its own way you know exactly yeah which is one of the reasons why i think this is such an interesting episode it's not one of the fan favorite episodes of paranoia agent i don't think yeah it's it's Um, not really really watchable like you only watch this episode if you're in a watch of the show you know yeah it's also i think maybe one of the episodes where much like Evangelion. Um, oh, also, sorry, the, the old man face repetition thing, I think, is also maybe there's a parallel oh, to the, the Ray right. clone yeah, sequence. Yeah, 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 I see that. Yeah, like Evangelion, we've talked about how, like, sort of, like, the production of Paranoid Agents started to get out of control mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at a point in time, and uh, the studio started sort of bringing in pinch hitters to keep to keep the train rolling. And here's here's where I don't necessarily get lane but i i get hints at other things Mm. in in this episode so the pinch hitter of this episode is a guy named hiroshito hamasaki he storyboarded and directed this episode Mm. and um he was a pretty accomplished guy hamasaki directed episodes of x we're going to talk about x again i haven't seen it but i hear it's pretty good it's clamps like supernatural pretty teens fighting one another show okay. I, it, it, I think it's like they're like um the the rated r card captor sakura <laughs> sort of maybe i don't know I got, okay. or like um say <laughs> sailor moon but serious mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. I, I i i'm maybe speaking out of pocket here but like i i hear x is pretty cool and technolize which i haven't seen and he went on to do this really sort of weirdly popular show that I don't totally like, but I think is interesting called Steins Gate. Definitely have heard of that. One. Yeah, yeah, it's so here's the here's the here's the quick and dirty of, of Steins Gate. Steins Gate is a time travel narrative mm-hmm. and it's a weirdly like grounded time travel narrative as far as like anime is concerned it's 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 like the anime version of the movie primer oh in a way yeah it's like so that the quote unquote time travel is sending texts back in time Mm -hmm. there's things i like about steins gate there's things i really dislike about steins gate um it's very fan servicey does not does not have Cone's like weird relationship with like anime fandom. Steins Gate is like, no, 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 we're, we want to sell figurines. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK. Also has like an op- an openly trans character, which I'm not used to seeing in, in anime and gets. The execution of that plot line, I have many, many qualms with. What, is this like contemporaneous with Paranoia Asian? Is it like a 2000s? Show? Not long after. Not long after. OK. Not long after. But his. The style of this episode is totally the same thing as the style of Stein's game. Gotcha. Um, okay. And it's it's this sense of like, it's cheap, but like the cheapness serves to sort of like underline the urban disaffectedness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he 
drew some in like this episode seems like a dry run at Steins Gate. Like it seems like he saw this episode and he's like, Steins Gate will be this, but more panty shots. Troublesome. Sure. That said, <laughs> I think he I, I'm having seen Steins Gate, I'm sure he watched Lane. Mm-hmm. But I I think this episode also like shares more of an aesthetic through line with Boogie Pop Phantom. Okay. Which we've talked about before. Yeah, yeah. I think the cheap but make it a Donnie Darko thing, not an it's cheap thing comes from Boogie Pop Phantom. And this is a refinement mm-hmm. of that. And Steins Gate is that, but slicker. Gotcha. But but Lane totally feeds into that. Um, For what it's worth, as as uh, he'd been an animator before, he worked uh, with Conan Memories and Perfect Blue. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That that makes sense tonally. I feel like this is this is the most perfect. Well, I, we've said that about other episodes, but in terms of like the sort of dorm poster thing, this episode has a lot of that. You know. Yeah. Dorm dorm poster energy, and like seemingly everyone else who worked on this show, he did Blue Sub Six, Spriggan, Demon City, Shinjuku, Wicked City, mm. Vampire Hunter, D Bloodlust, all, all the shit I loved when I was eighteen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so he's he's the pinch hitter uh on this and he he does not return to direct more paranoia agent mm-hmm. or storyboard more i don't believe he will return as an animator though interesting yeah in in, in the last few episodes uh-huh. that's i mean this episode definitely has a distinct look and style to it so it makes sense that he didn't direct any of the others because you would i feel like you would know you know yeah how you doing, buddy? Making it work. Making it work. Um, are you? Are you? Do you? Do you feel right now like you could maybe uh, put on a noose, but secretly it's a bungee cord? <laughs> I do want to hit a few things before we move on to happy family planning. Most of it's about Kozuka. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do we make of the fact that he actually only hit Hirakawa and Ushi, and that all, those are not true? shown in bad attacks all of that scans although like the the uishi like the way that they animate uishi not being able to like tell if he was in any kind of emotional distress i i think is actually like i think that's a totally missed note that's that they should have hit a black key Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right there but beyond that i i think all of that tracks like i like that that idea brings it more into a detective narrative yeah I also think this episode does a good job of humanizing Kozuka. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like when I when we did the episode about with Langdon previously, I, I did try. I, I was trying to bring in some of my understanding of this episode into that episode. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I was I was hesitant to get too far ahead of ourselves, yeah. but yes, like in that episode, that the moment that I I talked about where he recognizes the glow on himself and sees that he's going to be a victim of Shonen Bat. It feels mm-hmm. to me like something that is is more heavily pointed to in this episode you know true the image that he has of his like you know crusader self uh in full-on like you died dark souls mode with the static mm-hmm. line, wa- wonderful image uh yeah the, the tone of the the mixing of the high fantasy and the technological uh, and the, the the radio static is like oh Dude, like so good. Um, That's your vibe. Yeah, that is. It is specifically like it is so much my shit. And and the same thing with having the old man like 
in his like fantasy robes, but surrounded by the the radio technology. It's just like that that blend of uh, of aesthetics is is so so cool. Um, Both of those images would make good band T-shirts. I think. Yeah, <laughs> for yeah, sure. I I agree completely. Um, I think maybe part of the reason I had trouble with Kozuka until this this rewrite is that. So the first time I watched this show, I thought that Kozuka would 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 commit suicide because my interpretation is he commits suicide as or right before Shonen Bat actually gets a chance to off him. Like uh, I like, oh, because I don't think because right because he's he's bleeding and I hasn't he he's cut himself. Right. That's the, that's certainly that's what the, it looks like. And uh, we should have put a trigger warning on this episode. Uh, well, there's well, a lot of things that should have happened with this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, don't be too hard on yourself. You'll get hit with a bat. You know, knowing what we know from happy family planning. Right. There is, he, he does want to die. There is suicide. And what I think is interesting perhaps is the blurring of the lines between what is committing suicide and what is being attacked by Shonen Bat. Right. The idea that it's some sort of, of, um, it it's uh luring shonen bat in is a self-destructive this feeds back into manny was doing the the right hand magic trap yeah, right exactly i was just gonna say there is a real there is sort of like i think uh, a real life context that helped me get kozuka in this episode uh-huh. that i wasn't aware of the first time i watched this show um and it also underlines like sort of like the weird tragedy of what happens with maniwa and akari japan has a 99 percent conviction rate for all crimes wow whoa (laughs) jesus christ was not aware of that like if you're arrested in japan you're probably totally fucked right my lord that's that is intense so that that makes his like weird like disconnect from reality in the earlier episode like both make more sense and be more surreal it also makes more sense now it's like why is he in such emotional distress if he lives literally in a fantasy world it's like oh somewhere in his head he knows he's 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 yeah absolutely doomed he's never like even if even if one of the detectives doesn't think he did it he'll never get off Mm -hmm. he'll 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 never get off so which also makes it like all the more insulting that Ikari and Manua get fired because it's like, this is the country where 99% of all arrests lead to a conviction. Like you, you have a hard job in that you're detectives, but like, this is a country where like people go down. You don't need to worry about like proving it in court Mm -hmm. so much. This is perhaps touching a a different live wire before we touch the the big one uh, in the next episode. Sure. Did you get any Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Epstein vibes? on rewatch like is it did, were you able to avoid thinking about epstein uh and his apparent suicide uh in that reveal of the it's really hard for me not to it's like even when i heard about jeffrey epstein killing himself i my first image was the paranoia agent uh image of you know kozuka in his in his prison cell and and shonen bat slinking into the into the wall I got a little bit of Epstein. The more I got Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, uh-huh. Right. You know, the the sheet noose, but it's actually Freddy Krueger. Like, I, I think maybe that's what it was going for. But like, in answer to your question, there isn't a day I don't think about Epstein, which is fucked up. Right. But this is this is kind of the reason I bring it up is I think it's a useful parallel um, because 
I think that the Maniwas of our world would get really fucking obsessed with the the Epstein case, you know? It, it, it is the kind of thing that promotes the, in oneself, the kind of, like, chasing down of all possible leads, you know? And, and again, maybe I'm sort of connecting it to Under the Silver Lake, which I think is, like, sort of explicitly about, you know, the indulgences of the rich and how that can drive someone who is, you know, disenfranchised and alienated completely nuts. Um, yeah. And all of the, you know, obviously there's a lot more going on in under, under the Silver Lake, but I, I just, it's hard for me to not see the connection of like Maniwa as true Anon type podcaster losing his mind over a cold case that has uh, a trail that has gone cold, you know? Manny would de- definitely has like a weird truther vibe yeah. here. Yeah. And also like you don't get a lot of him in it, but Hirokawa does does like have a few like key shots in this episode with this weird fucking look on his face. Yep. And so it's hard not to think of Epstein in that sense mm-hmm. because I'm like someone needs to. OK, there's there's those photos online of Jelaine Maxwell and Elon Musk <laughs> right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we just shop? Hirokawa into the background there <laughs> right that's giving him too much credit right but yeah if he if he he's too small time for that but it is the that's his goal the variety right? of scumbag that we're talking about here that is absolutely correct so yeah you can't really escape I mean and also like that it's a show about police like I love detectives too but that it's a show about policemen set in a country where where there's this like massive conviction rate and money was like trutheriness does kind of make me look back at the show i i like it mo- most on rewatch from where i first watched it mm. but also i find money one like it's very hard for me to root for them yeah and i think that it is to the show's credit that you know by the end of this episode they are no longer cops you know like They've been driven off the beat. They are not, they are just like all of the other focuses, uh, all the other central characters to every episode. They are not meant to be heroic. They, all of these episodes are character studies in one way or another. We're not supposed to view any one of these characters as being like infallible paragons of virtue. Sure. And yeah, I, I, you know, I think like even we'll get more into Ikari's particular fantasies and the, the fantasies of, of policedom, you know, like that he perhaps are revealed to be somewhat naive, you know? And I think like that it's two different versions of like the cop mentality, which is like Ikari believes in this sort of like black and white, right and wrong uh, version of reality. And, and Mani was just a, a naturally paranoid person, a, a person who is trying to put all of the pieces. He's in, he's got that, the Reddit, mentality he's got the the easter egg hunting he's got the all these things that i've repeated multiple times in this episode that's where he derives his his copness that's what he's getting out of it is the solving of a of a puzzle he's got a puzzle brain you know right um, right maniwa bit torrented death grips yeah right yeah like he and and so I think it's it's crucial that the two of them are cops for very different reasons. It's like why the conflict that we talked about earlier exists. Uh, and it's why I, neither of them continue to be the way that they started at the show. Because I think mm-hmm. the show is very smart in revealing that these, these two things 
um, are unhealthy and not realistic and not good for one's brain. Uh, so right. I, I think if if we look at that as like a critique of the, the police system in, in Japan, which I don't know if this show has the range to truly do, it at least does not, you know, it is not copaganda. This show is not copaganda. Uh, but I, I no, it's not. I do understand the the hesitance to to be entirely on board with it along those lines. And and well, that's me 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 bringing like, I am like I have like a philosophical aversion to the idea of of police as such, mm-hmm. but also like that is informed by my specific experience as an American. Yes, and yeah. like I need to recognize that like me bringing that into this is maybe not entirely fair. Yeah. I didn't anticipate us go, like finally talking about this in this episode, but here we are. Well, I think it's it's it now is the time to talk about it because it doesn't really, you know, at, by the end of this episode, that is no longer really the the texture of the show. It is no longer a, a police procedural after this episode. Um, and perhaps that is a, a good way for us to get to the least procedural <laughs> episode of the show so far. Uh, happy family planning. Yes, happy family planning. What if self-harm but Looney Tunes? <laughs> and also it's a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, and, and um, also it's about interesting the internet, pitch. you know. <laughs> sure, but well, okay. This episode, I remember when I first watched it, I did see this one when it first aired on Adult Swim. Mm. And this one put me off and it still <laughs> and it still does i like i rewatching this episode i feel the way that i now feel about like listening to the first like three eminem records <laughs> that i used to like which is wow. like in retrospect um some of the con- some of the uh concern trolling was warranted wow uh this episode is upsetting i think it is it is a wild choice particularly the the scene in the, the forest with the the nooses. It's like, I cannot believe <laughs> like that he, right. they went there. <laughs> and when, you know, our, our guests across the pond mentioned that that scene is excised from the show. It's like, if there was going to be a scene to be excised, it's that one, you know, it's, to treat in particular, you know, again, maybe this is my American lens reading too heavily on on Japan's culture, and I do not want to be a Paul brother in this particular case. But okay, well, <laughs> I mean, continue, but okay, like, like, think about this episode after after the Paul brothers thing is a whole nother go. Like, on. it is difficult to, to to. It is such. I mean, like, maybe the Golden Gate Bridge is like the closest equivalent we have in American culture, but to set like a scene of three people trying to kill themselves in a forest by hanging themselves and then to put fucking circus clown music under it and portray it as like this, as you described, like Looney Tunes sequence is not so it is nuts. It is like beyond the pale fucked up. We've, we've talked about sneaking one past the goalie. Mm-hmm. I don't see how this one was was snuck. Like it was no one could miss past the goalie, which is not even something you can legally do in either soccer or hockey. <laughs> <laughs> I it's it's boggling to me that this exists. Yeah. Um. And and not to like stick up for free speech in a right wing way because that's not me. But like I, I I don't love like 
quote unquote censorship as an idea. Um, I know that the UK in particular has a long tradition of, um, you know, the video nasties of of trying to edit what what content comes into the UK. Yeah. You couldn't see Evil Dead till two Evil Dead two specifically, I think, till like the two thousands in the UK. They uh, uh, there was, I, th- I think, as I recall wasn't there like a big move to maybe try to ban all internet pornography in the UK with some sort of, I don't know, Batman central computer that didn't come to pass. But like I re- in parliament, I believe they were considering it, right. Right. All, all the stuff of the fights over like grime music and, you know, mm-hmm. references to, to knife crime and whatnot, uh, which is now interesting, like being a New Yorker and the degree to which, you know, Eric Adams is, uh, you know, cracking down on drill artists and whatnot. It's it, it it you know, it's not like it's not exclusive to the UK is all I'm saying. But sure, I'm saying that specifically that that country has like a storied tradition of of it, and it's interesting that this is the episode of that this episode of this anime is what put puts our conversation here yeah. in the same place mm-hmm. as as hardcore porn and drill and drill music. Um, and grime music, it, it like it. It's interesting. Yeah. That said, I I don't believe in it in in censoring media in that particular way. However, once again, yes, the 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 bungee cord scene is that is like the most indelible image in maybe the whole fucking show. <laughs> and I'm, I'm I don't necessarily mean that as a compliment. It is a it is a huge swing. This episode in general is. It is. It, it, it's wild that it's here. Like, why? Why do you think they chose to include this story in this TV show? Because it does not necessarily need to be here. It has. It is. It is the first episode that has very little to do with the central plot. Like, Shonen Bat shows up once as a gag, which is also it is a wild contrast to go from, I think, the scariest Shonen Bat moment of him, you know, receding into the wall. And the, the, at least thus far, uh, at least thus far. And then the next episode, we see him fall on his butt down a flight of stairs, running away from ghosts, you know? Sure. It, yeah. It's it's a strange it's, choice. So wh- why do you think this episode is here in this show? Maybe maybe Khan just finds this found this shit funny. Yeah. I, or, or or maybe I, I, I think he is sort of a. In the same way that I think Anno is, although to different ends, I do think of Cone as sort of like a, a provocateur. A button pusher, yeah. A, di- a diabolist in a way. Mm-hmm. A manner of edge lord. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe this is Cone at his most edge lordy. Yeah. I think if to, to be charitable um, and to try and connect the dots here, I do think that this episode is connected to some of the broader social critiques that the show has made, you know, like, yeah, sure, the- sure, 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 sure. And, and, and Japan has like a, uh, I'm no expert, but I know that there is, um, I don't want to say a suicide culture, but like we alluded to the Paul brothers, yeah. the suicide forest is a thing. Mm. I know that the, the country has, at least in certain job sects, like kind of like a weirdly high suicide rate. Well, I mean, it's not like America doesn't. It's just that we don't acknowledge it as such, you know, like suicide. I mean, I remember in, in high school, you know, 
there was a lot of concern about like emo music and you know yep. teen suicide and whatnot. And I don't know if that's I, yep. I'm sure that it, it that persists to this day. I can't imagine what kids are going through with COVID and lockdowns and all that sort of stuff. Like men, the mental health of of young people is a worrisome subject anywhere in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And but I do think that there is a particular kind of like uh, law and orderness to this episode of being like, well, they're they're getting together on the internet and planning suicides together. It feels it feels very like. Uh, headline of the day kind of and there's a headline of the day thread in paranoia yep, agent yeah like that we've we've touched on violence before. video games ruining the kids all that sort of stuff yeah have you heard that these anime fans think about anime characters when they're boning <laughs> prostitutes have you heard have you heard folks <laughs> satoshi Kon is here telling you the truth right, right yeah and so in that case maybe maybe it is just sort of i wonder if they thought we want to do an episode about a suicide pact. It's a social conscious, we think, but also provocative box we want to check. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's like, we can't, maybe they were like, we can't really think of like a good way to, a way we like to do that. And sort of the way that they settled on was slapstick comedy. Yeah. Uh, does the comedy work? For you like obviously like i think both of us are on the same page about the 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 bungee cord scene i think it's a bit much <laughs> does the rest of it work though like do you find any of this episode funny no interesting okay Fra- frankly no but i'm not like a funny i don't seek out comedies yeah. there are comedies i like i don't i don't seek out comedies i don't claim to have like a good beat on like the japanese sense of humor Mm -hmm. however that said this is the human instrumentality podcast and you and i have spent an entire episode waxing poetic on hideki ano's sense of humor um Uh, and 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 how like i forgive a lot of bad things about shingo jira because i find it legitimately funny yes yeah i think those things make me laugh this episode doesn't make me laugh i I think the, the 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 moment of the man jumping in front of the train uh that's a good setup and 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 payoff that i i sure um and i i do kind of like the the screeching of the uh of the train being like in in place of the screams like there's art to this episode for sure and i oh yeah i think the way it's animated is beautiful obviously it all relies on the reveal of there being no shadows and uh the fact that that is present for much of the episode without being acknowledged right. and that, that, that they pull it off. is really beautiful. Uh, you, you also did the thing then where you you were wound multiple times to like see yep. when the shadows stop. Yep. I did too. And in rewinding, I realized that there's multiple shots where they go out of their way to almost point out like everyone else has a shadow here except the three mains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so mechanically, I think those jokes work i think there's a ton of art to this episode these two like crazy wrap around animation shots one's the bungee cord sequence and the other one is um fuyubachi with the last pill yeah i think i i think those shots are masterful like it's a it's a really well constructed it is a it is a true stand out episode but it, i do not enjoy it i think it part of my I also felt like a degree of frustration when when I saw this episode for the first time because I felt like leaving 
the like right as the the story was getting really interesting, you know, to have this digression into characters that do not show up ever again that have seemingly no relation to moving the case forward is kind of a trollish move on the show's part, you know. Like I I do think Megahertz closes a chapter, but it also makes you really want to get to the next chapter, you know? And right. this episode does not let you have that, which I think I kind of appreciate more uh, rewatching the show than I appreciated on, on first blush. Sure. We're not going to get, get into this. I don't think in our next episode, but there's another, there's, there's not only a bottle episode in our next show. There's two, two bottle episodes. Yeah. There's not only two bottle episodes in, in, in coming up after this, but there's one that's bottle episodes within bottle episodes. And I, I will say at the very least when I watch that, I, I agree with your frustration, but I, I watch happy family planning. And I think I'd love cone to, I would love if he would have done a whole season of just bottle episodes. Yeah. Like they're good. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, I think like the overarching plot of paranoid agent is at times, a little tenuous we've now gotten to the point of the show where it's clear that the uh the sort of anthology bottle episodeness of it is now like the point whereas previously right. it was just kind of like part of the you know the way that we're getting through this larger story that is all you know interconnected here it it, it sort of is it's more honest about like the show's origins in in this segment of the, of the money show. down jordan peele has watched this episode yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It does. It does kind of have that uh, to it. Um, if if Cone were alive, I would have loved for him to like write an episode of Jordan Peele's Twilight mm. Zone. While we're talking about Cone himself, do you feel like Fubiachi's sort of looks like an older version of Satoshi Cone? Visually, I think there's no question. Also, like for a one-off character, Fuyubachi's character design, I think, is spectacular. Mm-hmm. I like. I I love looking at this fucking weirdo with his like like curled but balding on top hair and his fucking mustache he's like there's no denying that like you you look at him and there's it seems like allusions to cone which is funny because like cone's a guy who we've talked about this in earlier episodes has modeled for his own characters yeah 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 i i think it's it's interesting to look at it that way because it's you know one of the things that i just kind of propels this episode forward is the degree to which Fuyabachi and and Zebra are disturbed by their younger companions uh, desire to die along with them. And like they are suicidal, but they find something even more disturbing by the the idea of a uh, of a, you know, a preteen also wanting to die. That feels like an interesting comment, you know, like. that even the the suicidal even those who have no will to live find it disturbing that the youth are going down with them you know correct yeah that and and yeah so i guess maybe this episode does seem like maybe that's the angle of the critique is like hey you suicidal people what if a kid did this Mm. And that the only way that they like execute it is like, so the first half of the episode is not only like Looney Tunes in like the comedic sense, but in, in the setup, it's, it's like Zebra and Fuyubachi are Daffy Duck and Kamame is Bugs Bunny. Right. <laughs> like it is, it is a Looney Tunes chase through, they think failed suicide attempts. Right. That moment where she pops up in the background is like, so Bugs Bunny. <laughs> it's so Bugs Bunny. 
yeah, that they go into the bathhouse. Mm-hmm. Is, there's something Bugs Bunny about that, I think. Yeah, there's there's a loony, there's like a Mary Melodies energy to this episode. Um, and, and you mentioned the music, too. Like, I think that the music also serves to off-put it in that weird way. It fucking reminds me of Charlie Brown Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I, I can I can hear that. It's much more of like an acoustic instrument score in this episode compared to the others. Um, sure. It's interesting. I, I don't think there's there's not really any other Susumi Hirasawa projects that I can think of that sound like this episode. It feels like a a complete departure stylistically across the board. There are there are a few other interesting things I want to kind of touch on here. One, the fact that they all have Maromi backpacks. Definitely. Um, so even if we are not getting the moving forward of the the Shonen Bad investigation, we are still seeing the the perpetuation of Maromi as like an icon, and that e- that the the suicidal would identify each other by their shared Maromi backpack. I think is uh, a, a telling. And perhaps damning uh, choice, you know, like about what sure. this image has come to signify in society. Sure. I mean, and you could even like, let's explode that even further, right? Maromi's constantly behind them. Mm. This is a chase episode mm. and they're being chased by Maromi and don't realize it. I think that says something. Yeah. Maromi's literally on their back a, a lot of the time, right? And, um, so Maromi's sort of catchphrase to people is take a break. Yeah. And what and, is the ultimate I don't, break? I don't, but right. I don't really like one. Once again, I feel like my, like Cone and I would have serious ideological differences in some ways, even though like we're, I, I think we're close on a lot of things, but it like, it's this idea. Like, I don't know. I work in an office. I work life separation is important. Taking breaks is important. Yeah right like i i don't particular like i see the logic there but i don't i don't love that someone's making it 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 feels it feels like a broader brush than it's necessary to make i think the point that it's trying to make you know it catches excellent it, it catches yeah. a lot of stuff in the net to, to mix my metaphors that i don't think it it intends to Mm-hmm. because and we'll we'll talk about this in the next episode a, a great deal uh when you try to apply the um the politics of its critique of Maromi and and escapism to the workplace and to you know much more materialistically real life shit i don't think it is it's perhaps reaching too far to say that to compare escapism to suicide i think it is insensitive i think it's misanthropic yeah like i I guess that's and i know next episode i sort of come around a little bit on 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 cone's ideology or like a read of it however i do i do think like this this episode in particular like there is like the the gleefulness with which it approaches the subject matter is like there is misanthropy yeah here and i'm not certain to to what end what do we make of we get more Kozuka in this episode via maybe I, th- you know, not to go full Maniwa about it, but he's, he's always been linked to the Fox as a, uh, as his metaphorical character, you know, the, all, all sure. of the, the references in the old man's riddles to Kozuka are reference him by the name, the Fox. 
And so I think it's pretty clear that when the Fox is talking on the, the web forum that it's Kozuka. That's my take. Sure. Let me, let me just toss this out. There. Sure. Um, and this is like, maybe I'm getting a little Neil Gaiman here, which is like cringe. So forgive me in advance. But in, in, in Japanese folklore, Fox spirits or kitsune have, there's a long tradition of them. Yeah. And kitsune are, they're not only like nature spirits but they're they're tricksters yes yeah they're they're tempter spirits and specifically like luring people into the woods Mm -hmm. is a very kitsune thing to do right also um kitsune and i think snow cranes too have uh, a a history in japanese folklore of of assuming human form Mm -hmm. they're copycats you know they're cop in a sense yeah Yeah. imitators right and so i it's not like Shonen Bat's out there. Shonen Bat's in the wild. Mm-hmm. Is Shonen Bat imitating his imitator on the internet? Especially if, okay, and here's the other thing, right? If Manny was in the chat rooms talking about how Shonen Bat's still out there, isn't Kozuka dead? So how's Fox talking? Well, they they jump back and forth through time. Because it's not like they're on smartphones right, 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 right. and actually like reading these messages in real time. It's like all, all of the, the web forum stuff is a flashback. Which is an interesting, like, uh, you know, period piece element to this this show. It's it, it is a much older form of the internet than it would be represented in the modern day. Um, sure. And I even Maniwa sort of like spamming forums with his his like ram- paranoia agent ramblings is like that feels so old. That feels like such an older form of the internet, you know. Like that this guy would show up wherever the fuck and just like give his spiel, you know, and probably have to get banned by like the mods. No, he's I think it's very what web web 1.0, mm-hmm. which is nostalgic. And and in retrospect, there's like a fun kitsch to it. Yeah. Right. It, it also parallel to perfect blue again. Right, right. However, I think you say that feels old, but I see Maniwa as like a reply guy. <laughs> Man, he was happy that Elon Musk bought Twitter. Uh, like, he's like, yes, I will be able to get in the Secretary of Treasury's replies every day and tell them to go back on the gold standard. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right that, like, you know, it, it's like if you scroll too far down on the YouTube comments, you will see, you know, he's out there. <laughs> he is, he's he's, out, in, the he's in the wild. Man, he was in the yeah. wild. Yeah, right, right. He becomes the very thing that he's he's chasing. He becomes a meme, mm. you know. It's he's he's doing copy pasta all over the internet. Uh he, right. he's 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 becoming viral. Um in, mm-hmm. in his attempts to catch a, a viral meme. Yeah. And and to once again, Cone's credit, he like did what this is one of the best shows about like the way that social internet works before that was like developed the way it yeah. was now but like i think here up until the chase scene you can sort of see shonen bat as um like slender man yes yeah 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 totally and 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 that the the three characters like call him shonen bat sama like <laughs> mr shonen bat respected elder shonen bat does like there's like a weird parallel to um you know violent acts committed by young people who like have trouble telling that Apparently, maybe 
according to some testimony, didn't realize Slender Man isn't real. Right, right. I'm not certain I necessarily believe that or not. I, I'm not an expert, but like it, you know, it, it's of a piece with other, the, the critique that this show is making. Certainly. Ye- yes. So I think looking back at that, I think it's it, it, if you were to do this episode in America, it would be about the Slender Man gals, mm-hmm. except M- Manny was in there talking about how Slender Man's actually Q. Maybe <laughs> I don't I don't know. Uh just you know it's funny like obviously this episode is like it's been brought up multiple times throughout this season but i i kind of don't have a ton to say about it i think that there's there's an interesting point being made that like after they die they are able to live their best life in some way like now that they know that they're going to die that they they're convinced that they're going to commit suicide even after they they're dead they start like indulging in like their bucket list you know the right. sort of like the sudden presence of their imminent mortality f- like forces them to be alive in a real that's an interesting you know little wrinkle to this episode i think it's not like put it the, the hand is not too heavy on that point but i think it's there yeah but i don't know i don't love that that's that's i, I thought that too but that's got that energy of like you know you read these these books about someone who's got terminal cancer and then goes on a road trip yeah I fucking hate that <laughs> shit um and like to me this has like a little bit of of that energy although i like that they they keep a little darkness at the edge the crows right following them around the karasu Mm -hmm. in in that it has like a weirdly like positive view of death i think you can see and maybe this is where khan was coming from and then this episode sort of like mutated out of his hands but like the the last shot of them holding hands and walking away is a direct reference to the seven seal. Yeah, very true. Yeah, good point. Listeners, if you've never seen Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal, do yourself a favor. Go watch yeah. it. It's short. It's super entertaining. And it does, there is like a weird, that movie also does have this weird like relationship with the Grim Reaper that's kind of like tragic comic. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes goofball. Although much the seven seal is much better than this. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and like drawing allusions to the last shot in the seventh seal is a, a long cinematic tradition. Yeah. It's, it's and, one of those so, like iconic images that, you know, it's like the Akira bike turn, you know? Yes. That is Ingmar Bergman's electric bike yeah. slide. <laughs> sure. 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 <laughs> I can't believe we we got it there. I, I guess I would say there is one thing in this episode that I really liked, which I sort of missed on my first watches, but like the super quick reveal that Zebra's gay. Yes. Yeah. I, I really like how lightly that's done. You know, it it's that was a fine. Yeah. Touch. Uh, c- compared to, say, you know, Tokyo Godfathers, it is a, a much more elegant way of addressing that part of the world, you know? Sure. And and this episode also, I think, has a lot of Tokyo Godfather's energy. Yeah. Like a uh, tragic setting, comedic tone kind of thing. Yes. Three people, mm. two parents mm-hmm. and an obnoxious child. Very true. Yeah. Yep. On a mission, a sort of road trip mission. An, ur- an urban mythic journey. Mm. Trains. Yeah. A b- bit of that. Yeah. Sure. Okay, so I guess charitably, you could say, well, once again, Satoshi Kon playing the hits, and for some reason, it's always Tokyo Godfather. <laughs> Not to this episode's credit. Yeah, people love this episode. I don't love it. That it exists, though, is kind of fucking wild. Yeah, it is a novelty. It is 
inarguably part of the show's legacy. And I'm glad that people get something out of it. And like, certainly it's the kind of thing like you, you should see this once, you know, just to say that you have. And the reveal of the, the, the final reveal of the no shadows is just like a master stroke, but it is not my favorite episode of, of the show, but it is well directed. And I think there's, there's sort of like a tragic comic element to like the, the, the person behind this episode who isn't Satoshi Kon here. I'm going into my Do bit, your bit. This, so this episode is so different in part because it's totally a labor of love. It was directed, key animated, and storyboarded by one guy. Wow. Yep. His name's Satoru Utsunomiya. Also uh, did Akira and Memories. Okay. Madhouse long-timer. Unlike many of, of the other pinch hitters in, in Paranoia Agent, uh, doesn't have a lot of directing credits. He did an OVA called Hakenden, which I've never seen. Um, and he did a few episodes of Aquarion the year after this. And I hear Aquarion is, I think Aquarion is in the Razafon zone of like good, but forgotten. Mm-hmm. That said, I've never seen it. However, as an animator, this guy's got a fascinating resume. And I think you like, you see that in like those wraparound shots mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. great. Um, he did the Suzaku fight in Yu Yu Hakusho. Um, he did the opening animation to the Persona 5 video game. Oh, okay. Yeah. And there's a little Persona 5 energy in this episode, I, I right. think. Although I, I'd, you know, I mean, we ever talk about Persona again, <laughs> whatever. Um, he did some of my favorite episodes of the, of the, the original Full Metal Alchemist. Mm-hmm. He did Beyond the Gate. It's the one where they realize th- that the parallel reality is World War I. Ah, uh-huh, okay. Another thing that's not in the manga, yeah. right? One of the good ideas that they had that fans disregard, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> worked on X, worked on Yurisei Yatsura, Armitage III, as well as, and this is the thing, key animator on Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence. Oh. Hmm. Have you ever, so I, judging by your face, listeners, you can't see, but Ian just made a very impressive face. Well, I, um, I, I make that, that, uh, that impressed face was perhaps foreshadowing is all I'm saying, but we'll, hmm. we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I've got to ask, have you seen Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence? I have not. I've only seen the film Ghost in the Shell, the original. Okay. Do yourself a favor. Look up just the trailer for Ghost in the Shell 2. It is visually speaking maybe the most astounding piece of animation i've ever mm. seen mm. it like it is not the stone cold classic that is ghost in the shell one it's not my favorite ghost in the shell thing but you watch it and it's like damn this is a, for an, from an animator's perspective that film is an absolute goddamn powerhouse um so this is a really talented storied guy this is one of the only things he directed. He did so much of this episode all himself. And it, it seems to me that like, while I have like mixed feelings on it for this to be like, in some ways, maybe like the capstone of a career or maybe the thing that is the most his that I can tell that's kind of cool. And I'm sad that he didn't get to do more. Mm -hmm. At the very least, it made me want to maybe look at Aquarion. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this this episode seems like the kind of thing that would be a calling card for a career. Uh, and it's interesting that it's not in the way that you're describing. Like, it came, came near the end of his career. Yeah. I believe he was born in the early 50s. Oh, okay. 
he was a storied vet. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he's one of the OG studio Madhouse guys. Gotcha. So weird. I don't know why it takes you this long for them to let you direct storyboard and key animate an episode, but quite a swing, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Hell of a way to take your shot, Mm -hmm. bro. I I respect that at least. Well, I I am running on fumes at this point and I think we, we should probably call it, but the, the show will continue to make some interesting swings with the next two episodes, which are, as we've alluded to, further down the bottle episode path. Uh, we've got some great guests for those. And then we'll be wrapping up, uh, uh, I think, probably on our lonesome again for the rest of the, of the season. It's my, it's, my, it's my guess as well. And there's going to be, like, the finale of, of Paranormal. I know that, I, like, your Maniwa... I'm Akari in this in this particular <laughs> sub season. You're you're the paranoid believer. I'm maybe a little hot and cold, but I I will say that the end. Pretty fucking yeah, good. We'll get to it. Pretty fucking yeah. good. I know that. <laughs> I, like I it it get it get. You want big swings? There's gonna be some big swings. And until then, sweet dreams, everyone. The Human Instrumentality Podcast would like to thank our Bridge Crew patrons. Four Peoples, Jonathan Case, and Josh Oakley. If you're thinking of becoming a patron, you can find us at patreon.com slash humaninstrumentalitypod. For $1 a month, you'll get access to monthly bonus episodes. For $5 a month, you can join the Bridge Crew, and I will read your name in the credits. If you want to support, but can't spare a dollar, no worries at all, you can support our deep dive anime chit-chat by leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media. Our Twitter is at AnotherAvaPod, and our Instagram is at Human Instrumentality Pod. Thanks, friends. Until next time.